Good morning, True Life. Excited to get into the message today, and Brian's right. I just, if you're, if it's your first time here today, uh, I hope my intensity doesn't freak you out, but I am going to, I'm going to preach today. Um, you might notice um, every once in a while, I just feel like God really in my heart says, hey, instead of the practical application stuff and the notes with the blanks that you fill in, I, I need you to just make sure that our church family gets this one truth. And and so I don't even know that there is a lot of practical application stuff that I'm going to be able to give you today. Uh, I, I, I spoke um, several weeks ago. Uh, we have some guys from our church who are taking some Hillsong Leadership College classes um, up in Pennsylvania. It's called FaithWorks. And, and I have the privilege of going a couple times a semester and being one of the lecturers there and teaching um, those leadership classes. And, <clears throat> and uh, so I was up teaching for one of those. And honestly, the more I dug into the material I was teaching that night, the more I just felt like God was saying that this is not just for uh, the students at this class. Our church family needs this. They need to understand this truth. And so I'm going to get into it in just a second. But first, I want to, if you, maybe you heard this story. It's really kind of a crazy story. There was an elderly man at home upstairs in his bed, and he was actually in the final hours, the final day or two of his life. And uh, he and his wife had lived, a, they'd lived a long, happy life, happy marriage. And, uh, and so he was comfortable. They were, they were ready. It was time for him to move on. It, and uh, there wasn't a lot of grieving or more sadness going on. But <clears throat> he's laying there in his bed, and all of a sudden, he smells the aroma of his favorite thing ever. It's his wife's homemade chocolate chip cookies. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh, I love me some Chocolate chip, I like anything with the word cookie in it, but so he, he smells the aroma of his favorite, his, the chocolate chip cookies, and he thinks to himself, if before I go, I could get one more chocolate chip cookie, and so he actually rolls out of the bed, falls on the floor, crawled to the landing, rolled down the steps, and crawled into the kitchen where his wife was busily baking cookies, and with his last Remaining out of strength, he crawled to the table and was just barely to lift his withered arm to the cookie sheet. And as he grasped a warm, moist chocolate chip cookie, his favorite kind, suddenly his wife with a spatula came over. Whack! Don't you touch that! He was stunned and he just gasped and said, Why? Why did you do that? She said, they're for the funeral. <laughs> uh, that messed up. That's the kind of marriage you want right there. <laughs> so I, just, I thought we had to lighten it up a little bit. It's going to get pretty intense in here. I wanted to start by getting you laughing a little bit. That's, I don't care what you say, that's funny. All right. If you've been to True Life long enough, you know that, uh, that occasionally we do this. We take a break from the fill-ins and the, and the practical application. And I just, so if you've got the paper notes, you'll see you just got lines. Because what I really want you to do today is, is I think for different people, different pieces of the message are going to mean different things. And as I reveal some things to you this morning, I want you just to take the opportunity to, to write down whatever God is saying to you, whatever he's revealing in your heart. Um, I want to ask you a question has anybody ever, maybe I'm the only one, I don't think I am, anyone ever read some scripture or maybe sat in a service and listened to somebody preach and walked away at the end of it thinking, 
there's no way I could ever attain what they're talking about. Ever read scripture and thought to yourself, like, I'm supposed to be that? No way. No way would I ever be able to please God with my, it's too hard. There's no way I could ever walk out, live out this Christian lifestyle. In fact, I think many of us spend way too much of our lives thinking that God is probably angry at us because what we've created in our minds and our hearts and even in church culture is this unattainable picture of what a good Christian looks like and all the decisions that you would have to make. Anybody, could just show hands, anybody else ever felt just frustrated? Like, I just got no shot, man. There's no way that I'll ever be everything that I'm supposed to be and follow God. So, yeah, quite a few of us. Part of my story, a significant part of my story, my testimony really comes from that, that, that frustration and that feeling. And I want to kind of work you through it today, uh, the way that, that God helped me work through it, because what I think I've discovered is that it's pretty common for believers to feel that way. It's pretty common for people who are trying to follow Christ to not feel like they can ever really live up to what God is calling them to. And so we get frustrated and we we feel really small. We feel like we'll never get there, that the expectations are too high. And here's kind of where it starts. I want to talk significantly today. I alluded to it a couple weeks ago about the subject of holiness. And holiness has kind of become a curse word in the church because it creates standards for us to live up to that nobody feels comfortable pursuing. And so instead of going there and creating discomfort, what we do is we just talk about everything else but I, I think holiness is actually incredibly important. It's incredibly important even from a theological perspective because you can't understand God and who he is unless you understand what holiness is. You just, you can't. And so I want to I start by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. And, and I just need to tell you, I'm going to take you on a journey today. I'm going to create some tension in the room on purpose, but we're going to resolve it at the end, all right? So will you just trust me? Will you hang with me? you got to be all in for the whole message today for this to work. Can you do that? All right, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. And Peter, the apostle, is writing to us here, and he says, Now you must be holy. Uh-oh. In everything you do. So I just, I, you know, I just think, like, well, if I could just get holy on Sundays, like at church, <laughs> that would be good enough, right? No. Nah. But now you must be holy in everything. Everybody say everything. Yeah, Everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, and Peter is quoting Leviticus chapter 11 here, you must be holy because I am holy. And that's God speaking to his people in Leviticus saying, you must be holy because I am holy. It's significant that Peter quotes Old Testament scripture here because what he's doing is he's eliminating this idea that holiness might just be an Old Testament, an Old Covenant issue, or that it would just be a New Testament, New Covenant issue. And what he's saying is holiness is a God thing, and it's not bound by Old Testament, New Testament. It's a part of who he is, and it is something that all of us are called to. We are called, as uncomfortable as it may make us, we are called to a holy life to living holy lives. Holiness matters to God. And it matters because his nature is holy. It is perfectly holy. 
Look at the person next to you and say, you got to be holy. Come on. No, we're going to have church today, all right? Look at them and say, you got to be holy. All right, now look at them and say, that means you're in trouble. Because <laughs> it does. God's nature is perfectly holy. And, and I'll write this down. This will help you understand the character of God because who he is, who God is, determines what he does. So everything that God does, all of his behaviors, all of his decisions as the God of the universe, flow from his perfect holiness. Because of his holiness, he cannot tolerate or accept anything that's unholy. That makes me think, uh uh-oh. That's why all through scripture we see the holiness of God connected with something else. It's called the wrath of God. And his wrath is simply his opposition towards sin. I'm, I'm just teaching you right now. Are you drinking the sin? Are you getting, you getting what I'm talking about? So, so God is perfectly holy. Because he's perfectly holy, he cannot stand to be around anything that's not perfectly holy. And because he can't stand to be around anything that's not perfectly holy, his response to sin, to unholiness, is wrath. It is his opposition Towards sin, look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 7. It says, have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death. And then these last seven words are what kind of freak me out. For I will not acquit the guilty. Anybody else ever been guilty? Some of you, I I know we're on a college campus. I know last night was crazy. You're guilty this morning. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So that makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't worry, it's all right. Let's just be real, all right? Some of us weren't holy this morning. You came in here jacked up on something. (laughs) That's loud. So I think, man, I think, I I read that. He's not going to acquit the guilty. What am I going to do? You say, but yeah, that's the old covenant, Michael. That's the Old Testament. His wrath, that's that's not a part of the picture anymore. Uh, No. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and an unrighteousness of men. God's holiness causes him to stand in direct opposition of evil and sin. So when you and I are living out a sinful lifestyle, when we're living in the flesh, it is important that God in his holiness actually stands in opposition to those decisions that we're making. He is not for them. He does not want us to sin. God's holiness causes him to stand in opposition. His holiness, I would write this down too, what his holiness does is expose sin while his wrath is what opposes sin. So here's the deal. Holiness, you know what holiness is? It's an old churchy word that's been thrown around for a long time and and we sometimes we treat it like a curse word because some people have have taken the word holy and turned it into a rigid religious list of do's and don'ts and rigidity and your hair's got to be this long and ladies you got to wear a skirt and 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 it's got to go down to your I mean I don't even dude if you got a problem seeing a girl's ankles we got issues I'm just saying I'm just like you better just go ahead and cancel the cable get rid burn the tv that's not what holiness was about. It's not what it's about. But holiness is, God says, I am holy, I'm perfectly holy, 
And God places himself at the center of everything as the standard bearer. In, every, in other words, holiness is the standard and anything outside of holiness is sin. That, in fact, if we were going to define, a lot of people, times people say, well, what is sin? Sin is anything that misses the mark of holiness. If I were to draw a bullseye up here on stage and say right here in the center, if you live in this spot, you are, then you're pure and sinless, that is, the, that is the place where holiness is. And anything that falls outside of that, it's sin. How do we know what's holy and what isn't? We go to the word of God. We go to the scripture. It lays it out for us. His holiness exposes sin. His wrath opposes it. And holiness is the standard. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with covenant? I'll get there. Just hang on. So what this creates for me and where I struggled through much of my walk with God is this idea of living a holy life, it actually created a, it creates a problem for me. We've got a, we've got a problem here if we're going to talk about holiness. Because for me, the idea of holiness makes living for God at times seem very difficult. Maybe you can relate to this. When I look into the mirror and I see myself, can I just tell you, man, I don't see holy. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you look in the mirror and you don't see holy either. Maybe you look at yourself, you examine your own life, and all you can see is maybe some shame. Maybe some guilt, maybe some mistakes that you've made or you're continuing to make right now. Maybe you see some secret sin that nobody else knows about and that you can't figure out how to beat it and you're, you're fighting and you're struggling and you feel dark on the inside. You look in the mirror, you don't see holy. Maybe you see bad habits, maybe you see some regrets. Maybe you look at yourself and all you can see is damaged goods or, or a wounded person. Can I just tell you, I can relate to that. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't see holy. And it created, for years of my life, it created some tension, and I think it does for many believers. It created some tension about my ability to serve God and follow God with all my heart. Because inside, I was always wrestling the fact that no matter how hard I tried, I could not attain holiness. I couldn't get there. And that left me at times going, God, what do you, what do you want from me? I can't, I can't do that. I'm, I'm too undisciplined. I've got too many habits. I've got too many things that people, I've got too many skeletons in my closet. And I, God, I can never become holy. Why? Because of sin. And you know how I know all of us deal with that? Because the Bible is always true. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't even help me. Because that's the scripture saying on the one hand be holy And scripture on the other hand saying you can't Because everybody sins And everybody falls short And so it, it becomes even harder for us to process and, and our culture makes it even harder Because our culture will tell us Holiness isn't the answer You just need to be more educated You just need some more therapy you just need, you need to be medicated a little more. We'll, we'll help you break those bad habits. Take a pill. And can I tell you something? I, I, I believe in medicine and I believe in, in science to a certain level, but there's no level of education and there's no medication that frees you from the bondage of sin. 
We were born sinners, it's the default setting. There's no level of information you can receive from a school or university that suddenly makes you free from the bondage of sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. It's the default setting. It's how we were born into this world. And our world would have us believe that we can educate or or medicate away the issues of our sinful nature, but you can't. No medication is going to numb the pain. It certainly wouldn't numb us from the pain of God's wrath if it were to be poured out on us. It doesn't work. So it creates this tension for us because he won't accept, God won't accept anything but holiness. And here we are seemingly unable to attain holiness. And I think what happens is many believers get stuck right here. I'm supposed to be holy, but I can't be holy. What do I do? And what I've witnessed over the years is one of two things happens to the person who gets stuck in that place and never matures beyond that in their walk with Christ. The first person just gives up. And they may still maintain some semblance of serving God. They may go to church on the weekends or what but they've just give they just they just they say things like this is just who I am. I'm just going to be me. No, the Bible says you're a new creation. The Bible says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So can I tell you, person who follows Christ, it is never okay for you to say, well, that's just who I am, because it's not who you are. You are whatever Christ is calling you to become. The other group of people, I think, instead of just giving up, they, they turn it into religion, and they become very legalistic. And, and so to deal with the lack of holiness in our own lives, we start to point out the lack of holiness in everybody else's life. In fact, the religious people, I think they, they believe they've been put on earth to be the conduit for God's wrath. You did what? Sinner. Turn or burn. <laughs> These are the guys wearing the sandwich boards on the corner. The end is near. Can I tell you, if your relationship with Christ is mature, you don't need to fear the end. You don't need to fear anything. That's not how we motivate people into the kingdom. Last chance. Doesn't do anything. But I I really think those are the two places that I've seen over the years people end up. They either just kind of give up and they think, all right, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I'm really not going to do anything worth anything while I'm here on planet earth. And by the way, that's the enemy's plan for you. If he can't keep you out of heaven, he at least wants to keep you so distracted with all the things that frustrate you and your pain that you do nothing for the kingdom while you're here. And the other group of people, that's the enemy's plan too, because they're believers who just turn on all the other believers. And, and they're so good and then they, then they act like it's some sort of spiritual gift to be able to point out what's wrong with everybody else. That's not a talent. That's not a gift. That's just, that's just being a jerk. That's not in our list of spiritual gifts, by the way. Nobody scores a 30 in jerk. If you've been through life track, it's not on the list. You should go to that tonight, by the way. You can see the list. 301, Kristen will be there teaching it. Shameless plug. All right. Religious people, they see themselves like they're the conduit for God's wrath. And here's the problem. Neither of those is correct. If we mature, we understand that God's holiness doesn't just reveal his hatred for sin and his wrath in response to evil. There's another piece to this thing. 
that we find in Scripture, and it's called God's perfect, holy love. And this is where I want to camp out today, because you can't understand holiness without understanding holy love. They're interlocked. They work together. A true understanding of God's holiness reveals his perfect and holy love for us. If you've been coming here long, you've heard this scripture a lot because it's one of my favorites, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his what? Come on, church. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can God have such an extreme stance against sin and yet love sinners? At the same time, it's a valid question. It creates even more tension in this idea of serving Him because His holiness means we stand condemned and guilty, but His perfect love means He desires to reconcile us, to accept us, to forgive us, and to be in close relationship with us. I'll say that again because you should write that down if you're taking notes. His holiness means we stand condemned. And guilty. This is like basic theology, by the way, guys, that I'm giving you this morning. His holiness means we stand condemned and guilty. His perfect love means we de- he desires to accept us, to forgive us, and to be in close relationship with us. So there becomes this great tension between the holiness of God and the love of God. And it's because of this tension that we see God, here comes the covenant, all through Scripture making covenant after covenant, after covenant, after covenant with his people. Why? Because God has been in an unrelenting plan for us to reconcile sinners to himself so that he can be in relationship. That is the story of scripture, is covenant. Why? Because God can't accept sin, and so he's forever been trying to find a way to keep the wrath of sin from coming onto you and I. That's why in the Old Testament they would have to find the spotless lamb and there would be a scapegoat and they would do the sacrifices. But the problem is it's the same issue that we struggle with today. It became religious exercise for his people. And so the attitude would become, I'll just do whatever because every year I get to sacrifice something and I'll be good, I'll be clean. God's wrath will be poured out on the lamb. And, then, and so it was always about what we do. It was never about the relationship. And it just got, so God kept moving. He kept pushing it into a new covenant, a new covenant, a new covenant. Why? So that he could reconcile with us. God demonstrates his love for us all through scripture in that he is constantly changing the rules to try to get into relationship with you and I. That is deserving of an amen right there. Even God seems to speak about this tension when dealing with his people in the Old Testament through the prophet Hosea. He says, but how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined like Adma, devastated, luckless like Zeboam? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest, and so I'm not, listen to this, I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I'm God. What? You deserve wrath. I ought to destroy you, but I'm not going to. Why? Because I'm God. 
And in your world, in your system, when somebody breaks the rules, the response is to pour out wrath, to get even. But because I'm holy and because I'm perfect, I don't work by your system. I don't work by your rules. And yes, there's a holiness in here, and there's, a, there's wrath that needs to be poured out, but there's also a holy, perfect love, and I'm looking for a way to reconcile you. In fact, look at the language of the scripture. The word God there in the, in the Hebrew was Abba. You know what Abba means? Father. Check it out. God is coming to them going, I ought to spank your behind, but I'm not going to. You want to know why? Because I'm your dad, and I want to pour out grace. I don't want to give you up. It's like parents, when you know, you've got a teenager that's acting out, and with, there's part of you that's screaming, get your behind out of my house, go live somewhere else. But there's another part of you that's screaming, but I'm your dad, or I'm your mom, and I just want to keep trying to make it work, because I love you. He says, I'm God, not a human. I'm the, I'm the holy one, and I'm here in your very midst. Any parent understands this tension. On the one hand, I, I love my kids, and I, I want to do anything I possibly can to see them smile. And I mean, just nothing warms my heart more than seeing my kids happy and having fun. But at the same time, I know it can't all be that. There's times when discipline has to happen. There's times when correction must happen. I, I had a really funny conversation with my daughter the other night. She had, done, she had done something she wasn't supposed to. I don't even remember what it was. And it was one of these that, like, we've had multiple conversations about it. And so I kind of I brought it down a little bit. I was like, hey, tired of telling you, you've got to learn this one. It's got to stop happening. Okay, Daddy. And then we were getting ready for bed, and she crawled up on the, we were getting ready to read a book. She crawled up on the bed, and she looked at me, and all of a sudden she just started weeping. Just broken. So what's wrong, baby? Daddy. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like when I do something I shouldn't do, you think I did it on purpose. And I did it. I just forgot. So the very practical side of me thinks, well, all right, let's have a conversation about how just because you, you did the wrong thing on accident doesn't mean there's no consequences. There's still consequences. And eventually we had that conversation, but you know what the father heart in me had to do? I said, baby, I know your heart. I know in your heart you want to please your parents. I love that about you. It's one of my favorite things about being your dad. So you don't ever have to worry about that. We, we know what your motives are. And then we had the conversation, but there's, there's still consequences when you do the wrong thing, even if you didn't do it on purpose. And so there's this tension as we're raising kids, as we're parenting them. Any parent knows what it's like. You want them happy. You love them. But at the same time, you know that at times you can't let them be happy because you've got to fix there has to be consequence to the things that are going on. Just like I have that tension in parenting, there's a similar tension 
that we have to be able to grasp and understand if we're going to be mature followers of Christ. And here it is. A.W. Tozer said, truth has two wings. Here they are. Because of his love for us, there are some things that God cannot do. Because of his holiness, there will always be a list of things he ought to do. So we're left with this constant tension between holiness and his perfect holy love. How do we resolve the tension? Now the religious people would just say, well, you just need to live holier. You're not praying enough. How many chapters did you read in your Bible today? Two? Oh, that's the problem. You must read at least 10 chapters per day. I mean, seriously, that's, that's the religious response to reconciling God's holy holiness and his perfect love. The religious response is always about what we do. And I just got to tell you this morning, you can't work your way to holiness. You cannot do it. It's not possible. In fact, if you find yourself there today, trying to work your way to holiness or being the one telling everybody else to work their way to holiness. If you're the second one, stop. Stop talking until you figure this out because you're messing up other people's lives. Just shh, shh, stop it. But if you're trying to work your way to holiness and you're finding yourself frustrated, I'm gonna help you with this this morning. There's one way to solve the tension How can the requirements of God's love and God's holiness be met at the same time? It's right here. It's at the cross. Guys, the answer is Jesus. It was always Jesus. It's Jesus today. It's always going to be Jesus. He came to reconcile the holiness of God and the perfect love of God reconcile us to him and and fulfill the requirements of both. It was Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I used to live in Florida. Fun fact about Florida It is the lightning capital of the USA. In fact, it's the lightning capital of our hemisphere. There's a couple places on the other side of the world that get a little bit more lightning than Florida. But there's a lot of lightning. In fact, I heard when I lived there that you've got 10 times the chance of getting struck by lightning as you do winning the lottery if you're in Florida. Everybody ready to vacation? Let's go. So if you live in Florida, you become familiar with the building codes, especially commercial structures. And one of the things that's very, very important is this one little, you could easily overlook it if you didn't know it was there. It's called the lightning rod. And the lightning rod is basically this big chunk of metal with cable that runs down into the ground. And it's there for one purpose, to try to catch the wrath of the lightning and divert it from you. Because if lightning hits your building or your house, bad stuff happens. Your stuff, we took a lightning strike in one of our houses one time, and it was was interesting. 
we had some things that did not work anymore. Can I tell you what Jesus Christ became on the cross for you and I? God's wrath is built up. It has to go somewhere. It has to be poured out. You and I deserve it because of our sin, but Jesus went to the cross and became the lightning rod, baby. And so the wrath of God had to be poured out somewhere. And in order that it didn't have to be poured out on you and I, he went to the cross and took it upon himself. He became the lightning rod. You want the lightning rod. Trust me. It keeps you safe. It protects you from some stuff. And Jesus Christ on the cross became the lightning rod for for the wrath of God. He diverted what should be headed towards you and I and took it on himself. Somebody should amen that this morning. Like, this is why worship, it wasn't worship intense this morning. You know why it should be intense? Because somewhere in the back of our minds, we should always be thinking, thank you for being a lightning rod. I couldn't even stand here in the presence of God and lift my hands and sing if not for you becoming the lightning rod. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you did that for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, guys. It's also Jesus that makes it possible to satisfy God's perfect love for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Now, I'm really going to show you some stuff. Chad, why don't you come on up? I want to wrap it up this morning. I know it's been quick, and that's because I want us to have an opportunity to really thank God for what he's done for us. But I want to offer some things to you I discovered while studying about holiness. I think all of us can agree that God is holy, right? Can we agree on that? I think we can all agree that he has a holy love for us and that he wants a holy life for you and I. Holy living is important, and I'm, we're going to bring it back this morning. I'm going to show you why it's important for you and I to pursue a holy life. But I think many of us have misunderstood what holiness really is. And I want to offer maybe a different way of thinking about holiness and our understanding of it by offering a clearer definition of the word see holiness of God in scripture if you look at the Hebrew when when referring to God holiness always speaks to divinity divine nature supernatural when it's addressed towards us it always speaks to consecration setting apart set apart to do his work and serve him with our lives but it there's even more to it than that and we've lost some of this And I want to bring it back this morning. When you and I are called to be holy, it does speak of of consecration. But I think we struggle at times to understand what that looks like. So did some homework. Found the definition of holy to actually not be this unattainable picture of life that I could never get to. When I actually understood what holiness really is, it actually built me up and encouraged me. The word holy that you and I use in the English language comes from a Middle English word called halig. 
Now, now Hebrew and Greek, they do this all the time. You have words that it's the same word, but it could have multiple meanings. Depending on the context and the other words around it, it could mean one thing or it could mean another thing, or it could mean all of those things at once. And when we see holiness, oftentimes in Scripture, it's one of those words that means multiple things at the same time. And this Middle English word that we got the word holy from is just like it. It's one of those words that had multiple meanings. But somewhere through the course of history, through the course of time, somebody decided, let's take this word, halig, and split it into two. One with religious connotations and one without. And so we ended up with the word holy, H-O-L-Y. But the one without the religious connotations ended up being the word whole, W-H-O-L-E. And I want to submit to you this morning that maybe we shouldn't have split the two. Because when I started looking at what the definitions actually were, here's what I started finding. If I'm holy, I'm whole, it means complete or full. Not lacking or leaving out any part, having all the parts, not divided or cut into parts or pieces. Free, free of wound or injury, unhurt, recovering from a wound or injury, restored, being healed. Come on, are you feeling this this morning? Free of defect or impairment, physically sound and healthy, free of disease or deformity, mentally or emotionally sound, seemingly complete or total, constituting the entirety of a person's nature or development. So what God says to you is, hey, I'm holy, I'm whole, I'm complete, and through Christ, you can become complete. When you come to the cross and receive him into your life, you're not broken anymore, you're not messed up anymore, you can look into the mirror and see the completed work, not the work that hasn't been finished yet, You're whole. It took me a while to get there, but I told you I'd preach. You know what God is saying? He's saying, I want you whole. Why? Because I'm whole. And now when I look in the mirror, I don't have to see the broken, messed up regrets and decisions and bad habits. I can look in the mirror and say, all right, sanctification's going on, there's a work in progress, but when God sees me because of the blood of Christ, he sees a whole person finished and complete, and he's not worried about what yesterday looked like. Come on, aren't you thankful for that this morning? That's the gospel. That's why the Bible says he washes us whiter than snow. Our sins have been cast away as far as the way as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more gone so I can be complete listen listen get this in you this morning this is for somebody you can walk out of here today going when God looks at me what he sees is complete or full not lacking or leaving out any part free of wound or injury being healed free of defect or impairment physically sound and healthy mentally or emotionally sound Seemingly complete and total, constituting the entirety of my nature and development. So, so why should I pursue a holy life? Why should I change some of my patterns and behaviors to line up with Scripture? Here's why. Because holiness isn't about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. And there's a big difference. So oftentimes we view God and we go, oh, he just, 
that church, they just want me to serve. They want me to stop looking at porn. They want me to give them money. All those things in Scripture are a part of defining a holy life. So now my motivation changes. I don't have to do things so that I can check off my good Christian list. Now my heart says, you know why I want to live a holy life? Because I want every day to look more and more like the finished work that God already sees in me. Changes everything. It's relationship over religion. And guys, if we're going to live out the Christian walk, we've got to figure it out. And we've got to start to understand that what God wants for you and I, He just wants us whole. He wants us complete. It's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend that goes, you complete me. No, man, it was Jesus Christ on the cross that completed you. And when I pursue a holy life out of relationship and pure motives instead of out of religion and works, it doesn't just change me. It changes everything and everyone that comes into contact with me. I like what Moody said. He said, it's a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannon to call attention to their shining. They just shine. God has called us to shine, man. Why should we pursue holy lives? Why does the stuff we do matter? Because we got to shine the light. Why do we pursue a holy life? To become more and more like the finished work. And there's freedom there. See, you'll stop looking at the Christian walk as all the things you got to give up that you thought they were, they were fun. And you'll find out that living without all of those things and living in the fullness of Christ is much more enjoyable than any of that ever was. I don't want to give up my sin. It's too fun. It's, it's not, dude, your definition of fun is whack. Because this is more fun. I'm telling you, I'm having more fun. Got more friends, more meaningful relationships, more fulfillment in my life than I've ever had before I served Christ. I want to close with this. I want you to really understand the gospel this morning, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Some of you guys have heard this story that are at Faith Works, so just hang with me. In the country of Wales, Great Britain, it's a, it's a country, a very mountainous area, a lot of mining that takes place. And in one of the mining villages in Wales, there's a small plaque that commemorates an incredible act of love. This village was built around one of the large hills, and at the top of the hill was the entrance to a mine shaft. There's a narrow, twisting road that wound its way up the steep hillside, and each day, a small shuttle bus would ferry miners up and down the hill to and from their shift of work on the mine. On one day, the minibus, the, the shuttle bus, was returning down the hill, packed full of tired, dirty miners who had finished their day. And as the minibus started its descent, the brakes began to fail and, and gave out completely. The bus began hurtling down the road. The driver using all of his might and all of his skill to keep them from tumbling off the side of the hill. It was threatening the lives of everybody on board the bus. 
Somehow he managed to keep the bus on the street, and as he neared the bottom of the hill, where he knew things would flatten flatten out, he flew around a sharp bend, and in front of him was a small boy on a bicycle. And in that split second, the driver had a decision to make. He could choose to swerve around the boy and send the bus over the hillside, likely killing everyone inside, or he could run the boy over and save the lives of everyone on board the bus. The driver chose to run straight over the boy, killing him instantly. Afterwards, the miners, in anger, began to challenge the driver. They said, how could you do that? You should have gone over the side of the hill and killed us and let the boy live. The driver looked at the men. He said, I was able to do that because that boy was my son. And in that moment, the driver had chosen to sacrifice his own son so that the men on that bus could live on and become fathers and grandfathers and husbands. Church, you and I deserved to go over the hillside. We deserve the wrath of God. But he sent his son. And he gave him up so that you and I could be reconciled to him. I'm thankful for that. Would you close your eyes this morning? See, at the cross, a new covenant was established that superseded every other covenant before it. There was no more sacrifices needing, no more offerings needed. Jesus Christ became the perfect, spotless lamb once and for all to cover every sin in our lives, past, present, and future. And you may be sitting here today going, man, I I never thought about having a relationship with God because I always thought it was about the religion, but you're telling me it's about a relationship right now as I'm speaking I believe the Holy Spirit is tugging at some hearts and saying I want relationship with you I didn't give up my son for nothing gave him up for you and if that's you this morning I want to lead you in a simple prayer and get you started get you started on your walk with Christ get your sins covered and washed away would you receive the gospel this morning you receive the message of Jesus Christ he wants to reconcile you and if that's you you say hey I I need that I'm ready right now would you just hold your hand up just quickly hold it up I need that I need that I need to reconcile I see it I see it good job anybody else quickly just hold it up I need a relationship with Jesus Christ awesome just right where you are Quietly, you can repeat these words between you and God. You can make it your own, but would you just, I just want you to repeat after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. Change me. Live inside of me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for going to the cross and bridging the gap between God's holiness and his love. From this day on, I serve you as Lord and covenant Savior of my life. In your 
precious name I pray. Amen. Would the rest of you stand up? The rest of the band is going to come. And I just want to, I love that song we sang this morning. Our God is able. He's able to do whatever he wants. Why? Because he's perfectly holy and full of perfect love for us. So I just want to take a moment with this truth of what he's done for us fresh in our hearts. And let's just take a moment to worship him. Can we do that? You guys good with that this morning? Come on, you with me? You good with that? All right. All right, guys, would you? Would you just lead us in, in uh, not the whole song, maybe just like from the bridge? Can we go from the bridge? Is that doable? I'm throwing a curveball at these guys right now, so they're, that's why the deer in headlights look is happening. But they're good. They'll figure it out. Well, let's close our eyes. Let me pray over you as they start to play. God, thank you for each and every life in this place. God, thank you that we can pursue holy lives because of the finished work of the cross. Lord, we love you. And I pray right now in this moment that we would give you some worship, God, that's, uh, that's on the level of, of what you did for us as we express our thankfulness and our gratitude to you in Jesus' name.